You are listening to the SCC Cast, weekly teaching and preaching from Springview Community Church. Find us on the web at www.springviewcc.org. We are located at 12881 Andersonville Road in Davisburg, Michigan. We welcome you to come as you are to experience a friendly worship setting with biblical preaching, teaching, and application. Now, here's Pastor Ben Glupker. There is the great test right there. Will we trust in Him, no other? Will our souls be satisfied in Him alone? That's the challenge. It's the test that is always before us. This week, we are in the last week of our series, Back to the Book. Back to the Book. And this series is rooted in the conviction that every big step forward spiritually starts by turning back to the book. Every big step forward spiritually starts by turning back to the book. What your life needs and what my life needs and what our life together as a church needs is an ongoing resolve to go back to the book again and again and again because that's where God speaks to us and God is the one that we need. So let's do that together this morning. Uh, Turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. This is God's word. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What we need to see this morning is that the book has life. The book has life. Father, I pray now that you'd help us, that you would direct our hearts and minds back again to your book, back to your living and abiding word that has the power for salvation and grants us everything we need for life and godliness. Lord, I pray that you'd use your book now in our lives, in our hearts, in our church, that we would see our deep need for you, our deep need to know you in your word and to build our lives on it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, every one of us is building our life on something. Every one of us is building our life on something, some belief, some practice or activity, some value, some identity. We may not be very clear in our own minds about what that is. We may never have sat down and decided, hey, this is what I'm building my life on, but it's there. 
It's directing our thoughts and shaping our priorities and driving our actions. Every one of us is building our life on something. It's the thing that we believe will make us successful, the thing that we think will give us and give our lives meaning and significance. For some people, it's their career, my job, my promotion, my salary, the esteem I have at work, the esteem I have among my friends, that's my career is what I'm building my life on. If my career goes well, I'm doing well. If my career doesn't do well, I'm not doing well. For some people, it's their career. For some people, it's their possessions, it's their stuff. I always have to have the latest and greatest, the nicest and the best. I want to be known as someone who has nice things, building life on our possessions. For some of us, perhaps it's our, our physical attractiveness. We're, we're banking on that. I want to be known for how good-looking I am, how attractive I am to other people. For some people, it's their athletic ability. I want to be known as good at golf, or good at basketball, or good at whatever athletic game that you're part of. For some people, it's their social standing. They want to have the right friends. They want to walk in the right circles. They want to be known as part of that crowd. And as long as they're in the right crowd and accepted by the right people, they feel good. But if they can't get into that crowd, oh, things start coming apart. For some people, it's their artistic or musical talents, their creative outlets. I want to be known as a wonderful piano player. I want to be known as an amazing artist or a remarkable photographer or whatever it may be. And I just build my life on my creative pursuits. For some people, it's their intelligence. I know what's going on. I understand. You guys don't understand what's going on like I understand what's going on. Or I just always know what's up. I know all the news. I know all the latest gossip. If you want to know what's going on, come see me. I'm in the know. Some of us build our life on that. Some of us build our life on our money. I want to be secure in my resources. I want to be seen as well-to-do. I want to be known as someone who can afford nice things. i kind of counting on my wealth to establish who I am, my identity, to build a foundation for my life. For some people, it's their favorite cause. Maybe politics, maybe a charity, maybe something else, but they've just got a cause and they're building their life around that. That's the foundation of who I am and what I'm about. For some people, it's their relationships. Maybe with their spouse. Maybe the spouse they wish they had. Parenting. Friendships. We build our identity and who we are is the foundation of our sense of ourself. In ways we probably haven't realized, in ways we quite likely haven't thought through carefully, things like this become the foundation on which we build our lives. It's the thing that if it were taken away from us, we start to lose our sense of who we are. We start to feel insecure. We start to feel vulnerable. We start to feel like we're losing control if that thing goes away. Jesus points us here in Matthew's gospel to a much better way, a much better 
way. But, but before we come back to these verses, uh, turn ahead a few chapters to the end of chapter 7. Jesus, in the end of chapter 7, is finishing his Sermon on the Mount, a, a radical sermon, a radical teaching that's reorienting his listeners to the true priorities of God and his kingdom. And so he gets to the end of these three chapters of teaching, and this is how he finishes his Sermon on the Mount. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Jesus here is concerned that his listeners would put his words into practice, but the thing that catches my attention that I want to draw your attention to here this morning is this. God's people build their lives on God's word. They build their entire life on God and his word. At first, they hear God's word, as Jesus suggests here. They, they read it. They study it, they meditate on it, they memorize it, they hear it preached. God's people hear God's word, but they don't stop there. They take the next step. They listen, they apply, they repent, they obey. They do what it says. God's people build their lives on God's word. They hear it and they do what it says. And Jesus says here, that people who do that are building their lives on a rock-solid foundation. You Anything else you build your life on, any of those things I mentioned earlier or countless others, they're not secure. They're vulnerable. They can be taken away, but not God and his word. That is rock-solid. When the wind and waves and storms of life come, and they will come, that person, that life will be ready. They'll take a hit, but they won't go down. These people, Jesus says, are wise. They're wise. They're building a life the right way on a foundation that will last. When the end of their life comes, they won't be sorry. There won't be any regrets because they'll still be there. They'll still be standing, still be going into entering God's kingdom. But, of course, there's another kind of person here, too. This guy builds his life on the sand. He hears God's word, but he doesn't do what it says. Jesus calls him a fool. He says, in essence, you're going down, buddy. You're not going to make it. You're not going to persevere. You're not going to last. You're not building your life on God's words. Now, that should be, that should for, be for us a sober message. It, it should lead us to step back and say, wait a minute, what, what am I building my life on? Am I really building it on hearing and doing what God's word says, or am I, am I building it on something else? It ought to make us take serious stock of our own hearts and lives, but I'm concerned that it won't. I'm concerned that it won't, because I think we don't have anybody like that here. Right? None of us, nobody here is saying, well, my plan is to hear God's word and then not do it. 
No one said that. No one here is, is saying, I'm going to build my house right here on the beach. That's where I'm going to build my house. It's beautiful. The water's warm. The lake's right there. Oh, it's, it's wonderful. It's, you should see the storms rolling in off the water. It's a beautiful place. No one's doing that. That's nobody's plan. No one here has consciously decided to build their life on an unstable foundation, on something other than God in his word. But that doesn't mean we're not vulnerable. See, here's what I think happens. We deceive ourselves because what we think is building on the foundation of God's word is sometimes just decorating with it. Sometimes we, what we think is building our lives on God's word is really just decorating with it. A couple weeks ago, Kelly and I had an opportunity to go up to Mackinac Island for a, a retreat for pastors and their wives. And uh, about three years ago, we went to this retreat before. And uh, we got to the retreat, and uh, we gave us the key. It's at the Grand Hotel in Mackinac Island. I don't know if you've been there, but it's a, it's a very interesting hotel. It's a nice place, I think. It's just an interesting place. All the rooms are different. And so we got, last time we went, we got our key and we went up to our room and our room was in the back of the hotel. It wasn't very big, it wasn't very nice and when we opened the curtains to the window we were looking about eight feet away at another building. We're like, this is not an especially nice room. So we're out in the hallway a little while later and we see my cousin. My cousin's a pastor up by Cadillac and uh, we say, how's your room? And they say, oh, come see it. So they take us to the front of the hotel and we go to their room and their room opens up and there's a big uh, sleeping area and over here's a big living area with couches and a TV and a balcony that overlooks the lake and I said did you pay extra and he said no it's just the room they gave us I said what in the world why do we you know we get this anyway that was three years ago so we went a few weeks back and uh, this time we were in the front of the hotel now not nearly that nice a room but much nicer and looking out over the lake and so we get our room get our stuff unpacked we go in the hallway and run into my cousin and his wife again I said, hey, we got a room in the front this time. I said, where's your room? He said, we're up in the cupola. I said, what? I'm going to go see our room. So we go up, and they got a three-room suite in the top of the hotel. I said, did you pay extra? No. No, I don't, I don't know. Right? All the rooms are different, right? Now, all the rooms are built on the same foundation. It's the same hotel, but each room is decorated differently. There's lots of variety. It's, not all, it's on the same foundation, but every room is different. So if, if you say, hey, is this, a, is this a green hotel with pink and yellow flowers? Well, no, but we have that room if you're looking for that. And, and I think sometimes we build our lives in a very similar sort of way. We're building our lives. We're going about our day-to-day, -day, going about our business. And someone might ask us, well, is your life built on God's word? Well, I have that room. And you take them to the third floor, down to the end on the left, and you open it up, and there's Christian posters on the wall and Bible verses stenciled in. And we, we have that room, right? Is that the foundation? No, it's not the foundation. It doesn't shape the entire structure, but it's, it's a part of our life. Maybe it's the Sunday morning part of your life. Maybe it's the, well, when I'm with church people part of your life. It's not, it's not really the foundation, it's just, you've, you've decorated with it. And so it feels like, hey, this is part of who I am, but to be sure, it's just a, a part. It's not the foundation. It's not the basis. 
what should be happening is that our careers, our hobbies, our relationships, our possessions, and all those other good gifts from God, those, those should be the things our life is decorated with, built on a solid foundation of God and His Word. But instead, I'm afraid what sometimes happens is that we take one of those things and we make it the foundation and, and God's word gets relegated to, to decorative status. It's a feature, but it's not the foundation. That is an unstable life. And we are all tempted that way. So how do we know? How do we know if we're building our lives on the solid, sure foundation of God's Word or on something else? How do we know if that's the foundation or if we're just decorating? Well, you find out best by seeing what happens to you and in you when those other things start getting taken away. When those other things start getting taken away, you'll start to find out what's really the foundation of my life and who I am. We find out if God's word really is enough for us or if we require something else. Which brings us back to Matthew 4, where we started. Let's turn back a couple pages, back to Matthew 4. Jesus' public ministry is just beginning. At the end of chapter 3, he goes, John the Baptist is baptizing in the Jordan River, and John, Jesus goes to him and says, I want to be baptized by you. And John says, no, 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 I, you should baptize me. And Jesus says, no, you baptize me. And Jesus is baptized by John, and the heavens open, and a voice proclaims, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And then as we saw at the start of chapter 4, then Jesus is led out into the wilderness to prepare to be tested says tempted by Satan, and that's certainly a good way to translate it, tempted, but that word also can be tested, and we learn in the Old Testament that that's what's happening here as well. He's being tempted, he's being tested. For 40 days, he eats nothing. How hungry was Jesus after 40 days? Well, how hungry would you be after 40 days? He's that hungry. So Satan comes to him with an eminently reasonable proposal. If you're the son of God, command these stones to be turned into loaves of bread. He didn't eat in 40 days. What could be wrong with supplying himself with food? Food is a basic need. Food isn't sinful. It's a basic need. Isn't, isn't it one of God's good gifts to be enjoyed by God's people? But Jesus, quoting Deuteronomy 8, says, no. I'm not going to do that. Why? See, this, this story is about much more than just how hungry Jesus is. The explicit connection between this quotation in verse 4 from Deuteronomy 8 makes it clear that, that Jesus is recapitulating an event from Israel's history almost 1,500 years earlier. See, 1,500 years earlier, God's people, the, the children of Israel, were slaves in bondage in Egypt. And God came to them and he, he said through Moses, his prophet, he says, go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son. Let my people go so they can worship me. And of course, Pharaoh says no and resists and God sends plagues and eventually Israel, God's firstborn son, is, is released from Egypt and Pharaoh changes his mind, chases them down through the waters of the sea and they emerge from the sea and God brings his children, brings his people 
out, and where does he lead them next? By the Spirit into the wilderness. And they go into the wilderness, and after a couple days, they have no food. They're hungry. And they begin to complain. God's not really with us. We should have stayed in Egypt. Forget this Moses guy. We should go back. They fail, and for 40 years, 40 years, they're condemned to wander in the wilderness and never enter the promised land. See, now Jesus is, is facing the same test. He, too, is God's beloved son. He, too, comes out of the water to be led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. But where Israel failed, he does not. Forty days he spends there without food, and he doesn't complain, and he doesn't turn against his father, and he doesn't want to go back. And when the tempter comes and says, well, turn the stones to bread so that you can eat, he says, no, because it's written. It's written. Notice that in time of temptation, the Son of God himself leans on the word of God. No, it's written. Man shouldn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says, no, I don't need to do that. I don't need to care for my own needs. Why? Because his father's caring for his needs. Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 8. We'll see here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, two tests. Two tests. Deuteronomy 8, look at verse 2. Moses speaking to Israel, after those 40 years are about up and they're prepared to enter the promised land, he says, you shall remember the whole way. The Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you didn't know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man doesn't live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God is testing them to see what's in their hearts. Now, listen, God, God already knows what's in their hearts, but they don't. They don't. They need to see it. The first test is the test of want, of lack, of not having what they're sure they need, and it seems reasonable. They get out in the wilderness, and there's no food for a couple days, and they go, what are we doing out here? We need food. What is God doing? Look at verse 5. He says, Know that in your heart, then in your heart, that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. God is disciplining them as sons. Not, not punishment, really. Instruction. You need to see what's in your heart. You need to see how quickly how quickly you turn away from following and trusting me. It's only been a few days since they came out of the Red Sea, since they walked through on dry land and saw it close back over Pharaoh's army. 
and destroy their enemies. And then in Exodus 15, they sing this big song of joy. And then in the first part of Exodus 16, just a couple days later, they're groaning and complaining and whining and saying, we want to go back. God, it says, God let them hunger. He let that hardship come into their life so they could see their own heart. How quickly they would complain. How quickly they would turn on God. It's not even a bad thing they want. It's just food. But how quickly they fail to trust. And so what does God do? It says he gave them manna, which they didn't know, nor did your fathers know. What's the point? They're out in the wilderness going, how in the world are we going to eat? God says, I'm here. I'm here. And I've got ways you have no idea about. I have means and ways that you, you, you could never dream of, but I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to meet your needs. And so they are tested by want. Food's not ridiculous. Everybody needs food. And maybe you've seen those, uh, those videos, uh, I think the BBC did them, called Planet Earth, or there's other ones like them, and they show all these different ecosystems and all the animals and plants and all this. They're really fascinating. But when you watch enough of those, what you start to realize is that absolutely everything is trying to eat. People, animals, plants, extremely small. Everything is, most of creation, of animate creation, it spends most of their life looking for food. God knows that. God knows that we need food. He says, you, you don't have to worry about that. You need to see what's in your heart, how quickly you trust in. You think food is what you need. Say, food is basic. God says, no, I'm basic. I'm what you need. I'm going to meet your needs. I'm going to take care of you in ways you can't even imagine sometimes. Will you trust my word? Will you build your life on my word, my power, my principles, my promises? He's made great promise to them. He will surely come through. Our hearts and minds say, I, I must have whatever it may be. What we really need is God. We can't count on those things. We can count on God. God's powerful word is able to provide us with everything we need forever. See, Israel didn't have to worry because God was their father. Just like Jesus in the, in the desert doesn't need to worry, right? Because what, how is the temptation framed? He, at the end of chapter 3, Jesus comes out of the waters of baptism and, and the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son. And the devil comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, he, calls, he, he speaks doubt into it. Jesus knows he's the son of God. He knows who he is. He knows who his father is. He's not worried. He doesn't need to go out on his own and make his own plans and his own provision. He can just trust his Father just like you and I can if we're in Christ. God is surely our Father. We can surely trust him. You say, I don't know how we're going to eat. I don't know how we're going to whatever. Well, God has got ways we can't even imagine. No constraints, no limitations, no weakness. Always watching always aware, always working for our good. You say, well, what, why, why is it hard then? Well, it's actually a grace. God is showing us what's in our hearts, showing us those ways and those areas in which we're trusting in other things. What we need to trust is in the powerful word and promise of God. There's another test here, though. The first is the test of want. The second is the test of plenty. 
if we continue in Deuteronomy 8, verse 7, he says, the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Boy, that sounds great. Hey, that's what we're looking for. Verse 11, but take care. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rule and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you've eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there's no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fled you in the wilderness with manna your fathers didn't know, that he might humble you and test you to do good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You should remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I, I solemnly warn you, today you shall surely perish. Like the nations the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall your per you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. The first test was God's not meeting my needs. The second test says, uh, I don't need God to meet my needs. Look what I've done. Look what I've acquired. Look what I've accomplished by the power of my own hand and the wisdom of my own mind and the cleverness of my own self. Look, look what I've done. The first test is the test of want. The second is the test of plenty probably most of us have known both. We've known what it's like to want in certain areas, to feel the need, feel the hunger, if you will. And we also have known what it is, especially in our day and age, in our society, to have plenty and to think, well, look what I've done. Look what I've secured for myself. And then when the time of want comes around again, I think, well, I, I'm going to have to figure this out. I'll take care of it. It's a different test, but the same problems. Building our life on something else than God and his word. I don't want you to do that. I don't want to do that. If we're going to go back to the book, I mean really go back to it all the way. We're going to go back to the book, not, not to add a decoration to the building that is our life. Not to say, you know, maybe I should make over another room in my house. Maybe I should have two Jesus rooms in my house. But to go right down to the foundation. Right down to the foundation and say, I've got to build this thing from the ground up the right way. You know, if you and I are going to do that in our lives, it's probably going to require some demolition. There's probably some parts of the superstructure that are going to have to come down if we're going to rebuild the foundation the right way. There are some behaviors, some attitudes, some relationships, some priorities that have to change. Demolition is dirty and painful. 
I suppose the Bible word for that is repentance. Real change. We don't want to just redecorate another room. We, we want to start, we want to go right down and, and build up the foundation of our lives the right way. You, you need this. We all need this. Your family needs this. Your children or your grandchildren, they need to be built up in this. If we were to go back a few more chapters in Deuteronomy 6, I'll just read you a couple verses. Foundational, it's the greatest commandment. The Lord your God is one. Love him with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength. And he says in Deuteronomy 6, 6, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit on your in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and there shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. See, in other words, your whole life, everything about your life is built on this. It's built on God's Word. You need this. Your family needs this. Our church needs this. This is a never-ending process. It's never done in this life. As a church, we need to go back again and again and again to God's Word. What is God saying? What is God's priority for us? Where is God leading us? What does God want us to do? What brings us back relentlessly again and again to God's word. We need to be trained and taught in this. We have a, a discipleship program for kids on Wednesday night, and the theme song, I'm not usually in here for the theme song, but I can hear it in the hallway, and I think it goes something like this. I want to build, I want to build, I want to build my life on the solid, sure foundation of God's word. That's a good song for kids to sing. It's a good song for adults to sing. We don't want to just decorate our life with God's Word. We don't want to give it one morning a week, an occasional meeting with our church friends. We don't want to give just one room of our house over to it. We, we want to build it from God's Word from the ground up, which means that we have to give more attention to God's Word. We must read it. Meditate on it, memorize it, study it, know it, speak about it with each other. We must give more attention to God and his word. You know why we don't right now, don't you? At least I know why I sometimes don't. I just have more important things to do. It seems. There's deadlines. There's things that are pressing. There's things that have to be worked on. I've got important things. No, that's not, that's not right. I'm going to build our life as individuals, as families, and as a church on God's word. And that will require a real commitment. More than sentiment, a real commitment to read God's word and to know it. I would encourage you you don't have a good plan already i would encourage you to grab uh, our new learning christ together schedules are out uh, on the table in the lobby there may be in mailboxes out in the lobby too and rose may have put them there but there you have a, a daily plan to to read god's word reading with uh, 
the rest of our church family, a, a weekly scripture memory verse that we might together grow in God's word as we begin to try to, to build the foundation of our life on him. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of a loving heavenly father who's given his own son to display his love for us, to die in our place, to make it, make it possible that we could be adopted into his family. Will God do us good? We know he will do us good. He's already done the best thing for us in giving us his son. So let's go back again and again, relentlessly to his word. Relentlessly. Our next big step forward spiritually starts by turning back to the book. Father, I pray. I pray that you would help us. We are tempted every day and in many ways to build our lives on other things. To try to secure our future or establish our significance or find our identity in, in all of these other things that, that may be good gifts from you but, but surely aren't ultimate. I pray that you'd give us much grace, that you would draw us back again and again to your word. In deep, true repentance. We don't want to just decorate our lives and decorate our church with your word. We, we want to build on it. So we pray your spirit would work that conviction in us. That your spirit would would further strengthen and convince us of your great love for us, that we can, we can count on you in your word, that you are doing us good, that you are going to bring us into the land, into your kingdom forever someday. May it give us strength to persevere against temptations and trials and sorrows in this life. And I pray that no person here would be a fool, building their lives on the sand, decorating it with God's word, but not building on it. I pray that you'd, you'd work wisdom in us, that we would take pains and make effort to hear your word, and by grace we would obey it and put it into practice. And I pray that you would, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, be changing and growing Springview Community Church into a people built on your word for your glory and our joy in you. I pray this in Jesus' name.